Welcome to Go Electric, where we cover some of the most interesting topics around electrification and clean tech. Today's show is brought to you by ChargeUp USA, a one-stop shop turnkey marketplace for EV charging solutions and expert installation services. ChargeUp USA streamlines the process of finding the best EV charging stations and the best service professionals at the best price. Now, I want to welcome our viewers to Go Electric. I'm Rob. And I'm Josh, and we are passionate about making the world cleaner and greener. We are looking at all angles of the clean tech revolution, and our goal is to spread awareness about all of the incredible things that are helping to change our world for the better. If you're like us and you're passionate about clean tech and electrification, be sure to like this video and click that subscribe button. Today, we're excited to welcome Stacy Smedley to our show. Stacy is the Executive Director of Building Transparency, an organization that is fostering a better building future by addressing embodied carbon's role in climate change. Stacy also serves as the Sustainability Director at Skanska, one of the world's largest development and construction companies, where she has led sustainability initiatives and is considered a subject matter expert in LEED, living building challenge and carbon emissions associated with buildings and construction. Stacy, we are so glad you are joining us today. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great, well, let's start from the top. Tell us why you're passionate about clean tech and climate change initiatives. Oh man, this is a long story, but I'll try to make it short because it starts when I was about four. <laughs> but um, I grew up in, in rural Oregon on some land that my grandpa had purchased and he built a house and there was forests and streams and all the things that I thought every little girl got to go out and explore. Um, and when I was um, eight, he um, sold the land and I watched it become um, another suburban housing development in Clackamas, Oregon. And I couldn't figure out why humans would come in and basically scrape away all of that natural environment and build these asphalt roads and houses that all look the same. And I told my mom I was going to grow up and build buildings that didn't destroy nature. So I've been on a quest since I was eight to figure out a way to make sure that the things that we build and live in and you know, drive our cars on and all the things um, are positive contributors to the climate versus negative ones. That's fantastic. So we saw from your CV that you actually have your hands in a ton of different organizations that are on the forefront of that and kind of bringing your childhood dream, you know, to bear. What are some of those other initiatives uh, besides building transparency that you're excited about and involved in going into 2022? Yeah, so there is a lot. Um, I really think that uh, when we're talking about clean tech and climate, um, generally, that we, we all have to be generalists and really understand all the different pieces of this. So um, one group that uh, I helped run for quite some time was the Washington Businesses for Climate Action through my role at Skanska, which was really how we could convene a whole bunch of different types of businesses that were all Washington state-based to go and advocate for a good policy that would help um, the private sector actually invest and innovate um, in climate solutions. So that was one example. Um, I have a website called Climate Everything where I make climate gifts to help educate folks. I have a LinkedIn group called Climate Jobs to try to make sure people understand what jobs are available out there. They could go on. I really think, you know, we all have to be here to support each other and just provide whatever we can um, yeah, at the table as we're trying to solve all these problems. It's a big problem. So it's really yeah. encouraging that folks like yourself are out really taking a comprehensive look, you know, <laughs> all the way around, right? That's great. Sissy, tell us about building transparency. What, what, what is building transparency? So it is a Washington state-based nonprofit. Uh, it was established in January of 2020 
So we're a pandemic nonprofit <laughs> in terms of when we first were getting going. Um, we've been virtual since the beginning, um, but our focus is on um, providing the free and open access tools and data that are necessary to reduce embodied carbon emissions of construction. And that really means um, thinking about software as uh, something that can be uh, nonprofit funded, uh, which is I think a unique concept. Uh, we have large sponsors and funders and, and grant givers that are basically paying for a software tool that um, looks to mitigate uh, carbon emissions of construction to make it free for everyone. Um, so I also call us sometimes a nonprofit tech startup, which is kind of counterintuitive. <laughs> We've realized that what you can't measure, you can't improve. And it seems like a lot of the things that are happening around climate change type businesses and organizations is measuring things and improving on them. And one of the measurements uh, that you guys have a, a strong focus on is what's called a carbon life cycle assessment. So for those who are maybe not you know, in the, in the clean tech construction world. Can you explain what the carbon life cycle assessment is? Yep. And what's nice is that, again, if we think about this outside of just construction, you can do a, a life cycle assessment on really anything. So I'll put it in those kind of terms and then kind of dig into the construction side. But really, if you're looking at your laptop or your desk or, you know, a cubic yard of concrete, a life cycle assessment is something that you can do to understand the environmental impacts um, that went into making that thing. So um, for a laptop, it would be the sourcing of all the plastics and the wiring and actually how those materials were made, the emission sources of the energy grid at the factory, the extraction emissions of getting all those raw materials out to make the plastic or that piece of wire, um, the emissions of transporting all those materials to a facility to turn it into a laptop. Um, and then it will also take into account that life cycle of that laptop. So if it lasts five years, how many laptops might you have over the course of your life uh, to get that kind of impact? And then end of life is all about um, what are you going to do with all those materials that laptop was made out of when you're done? Are they going into a landfill or are they going to be returned back into recycled materials that are going to make the next laptop and reduce that kind of raw material consumption at the beginning of the next one? So really, it's a verified way to do all that accounting and get all of those emissions factors and ingredients that you need to, to put it together for a product. Now, would this be like the business that's doing the manufacturing that would want that information? Or would this be like a regulator? Would it be a mix of a couple of different parties? Like who, who would ask for the life cycle assessment? We're, we're seeing it from a lot of different places. So there's uh, on the manufacturer side, if you think about Microsoft, they build a lot of laptops and sell them, and they also want to track all of their carbon emissions and be at zero by a certain year. And that includes the emissions it takes to make all those laptops. So they're doing it from an internal carbon uh, requirement standpoint where they've outwardly said we're going to be at zero emissions by the state, including our supply chain and all the things we make. Now we have to start tracking it through lifecycle assessment so we can say, here's how much it takes now to make that laptop, and we have to reduce that now to zero by the state in terms of how we're doing that. Um, so that's the manufacturer kind of owner of the product side of things. There are regulations coming from public policies, even for construction materials where I sit, where it's requiring this for all public procurement of things like concrete or steel. So if you're building a public building in a state or for the federal government, there's policies proposed that say to build that building, you have to use a product like concrete or steel that is disclosing this emissions data through life cycle assessments and eventually, eventually is under a certain target or below a certain metric or line from a carbon perspective. So there is policy. And then there's just consumers. Like 
I'm about to start a remodel of my house. And I now know that based on the tool that we have in building transparency, I can go look at the carbon emissions of my three gypsum wall suppliers and um, pick the lower carbon guy and go, go to Home Depot and buy that gypsum board uh, because I've been able to access the data. So there's a consumer, just you know, a, a informed consumer aspect to this that's super exciting and important too. Is it almost like the ingredients list then, or like a calorie count that I might see on food today that kind of like, would it, do you see it kind of evolving into something like that? It already almost? is. That's the, that's the analogy I use all the time. So I call it a environmental impact nutrition label for a product or a building material. And it's typically a multi-page document, um, but on page 12 or 15 or wherever it might be in that document, that's giving you all this data is a table and it will have a declared unit, which is kind of like your serving size. And it will have uh, kilograms of carbon emissions per that declared unit, kind of like a carb. So it's this many carbs per serving size, it's this much carbon uh, emissions going into the atmosphere per unit of your material. Wow, that is super neat. Now I suddenly yeah. want to see this for every device I own. <laughs> for, everything, <laughs> for everything, right? Right? Yeah. Everything. Wow. Everything should have an EPD. It's called an environmental product declaration. That's the document that all this data exists in. Wow. Awesome. That's very cool. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the tools that building transparency offers. You know, first, congrats on creating the embodied carbon and construction calculator, which is known as EC3. Can you tell us about this tool and, and how you came up with the idea for it? Sure. Yeah. So you mentioned my my two uh, figurative hats that I wear. So um, I've been a sustainability director at Skanska. Um, I've been with Skanska for about 10 years. And in that role, um, Skanska made carbon commitments where they started to say that we were going to be at zero carbon emissions by a certain date, and it was gonna include major building materials. So all of a sudden I, as the person sitting at Skanska, um, needed to go find that data and figure out a way to understand the emissions of those products, but then be able to reduce them to meet a target. So I went on a search for this information. I found environmental product declarations. I found that nutrition label, and all of a sudden I had a, a hobble net where I, could find the kilograms of CO2 per unit of concrete or steel for a product um, and put it into an Excel spreadsheet and then go to the next guy and get their intensity and put it in an Excel spreadsheet. It was great, but it took a long time to do all those things. I had to find the PDF on a manufacturer website, download it, find the table, take the data out, type it into an Excel spreadsheet, and then do comparisons that way. So I figured that if we could figure out a way to digitize all of these environmental product declarations into a standard database where I could go search and sort and compare products with a few clicks, kind of like Google, where you go and you search and you can get to data that's digital. Um, it would make my life a lot easier, but it would also make anyone else's life easier that was probably trying to do the same thing. Um, so Skanska seed funded that idea through an innovation grant that I applied for. Um, and then we had others join like Microsoft who wanted to pilot that pilot, the idea of being able to account for this on their campus project in Redmond. We incubated the idea at the carbon leadership forum with over 50 sponsors. Um, and we got to the point where we had a digital database of EPDs with, um, searches and sorts by material where you can go in and actually, you know, go to concrete ready mix, Washington, get all the suppliers that have EPDs, look at their carbon intensities and be able to do that thing that I want to do for my gypsum board, um, which I can now, of sourcing the lowest carbon option. So it's a free open access tool, um, free to register, free to use. All the data is transparent in this digital format. Um, and we're about to reach to 20,000 users. We're at like 19,900 wow. and something right now. Congrats. That's so, fantastic. Let yeah. me ask this too. So that sounded, let me just make sure, restate that point that you just, you kind of said in there, which was that 
This was actually funded by four profit companies that put money up here to fund the development of this tool. So that kind of touches on what you were talking about earlier. This was nonprofit funded software. Is that correct? Yeah. So it was definitely, um, you know, in, in the first um, documents that when we were setting up kind of the bullet points of what the tool would be, that it would be free and open, open access. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Skanska saw the benefit of that for industry, Microsoft jumped on board. And then when it was at the carbon leadership forum at the university of Washington, 50 more companies said, yes, we want to support this initiative to create this free tool. And that's still our funding me mechanism where we have, you know, large private companies, uh, largely funding our nonprofit to make sure that tool remains free. Wow. That is super, super neat. It kind of reminds me of like other <laughs> do good organizations like Mozilla, right? It, it's really neat to hear about corporations being good citizens and bringing these, uh, these tools that are much needed to the market. Uh, this is not the only tool you guys talk about on your site. Can you tell us about some of your other um, measurement tools, such as Tally? Um, what's Tally all about? Sure. Yeah, Tally was uh, donated to us by Kieran Timberlake, which is an architecture firm that created it um, because of their need to do life cycle assessments at the building level. So um, you can do these assessments at the product level um, and get a good number, um, but you can also do the success ass assessment for a building where you're looking at all the different products across all the stages to try to figure out the best materials to use in the first place. So Tally is a, a Revit-based plugin. Revit's one of the main BIM softwares that a lot of the uh, architecture community uses here uh, in North America and also around the world. Um, and it enables you to basically within your Revit model, um, assign average values for all these materials and, and look at your building as a carbon, um, a carbon assessment. Neat. So this would, the user for that would be like an architect at an architecture mm -hmm. firm would load this in and then use that. Okay. Neat. Yep. Neat, neat. Yep. So just just continuing on with with just some of the traction that you're receiving and, and some of the 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 companies that are relying on these tools, um, you've received some great testimonials on your website. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the companies that are using building transparencies tools? And you know what would you say are some of the primary primary drivers for the adoption of um, you know Tally or EC three? Yeah, so it's really diverse in terms of who's using the tool, EC3 um, specifically, if I'm looking at that one, just because even with Tally, this is a diverse process. It's not just that the architect or the engineer or the contractor has a role. Um, the owner needs to be engaged in the requirements. Architects, engineers need to be the ones specifying and designing to lower carbon options using the tools and data. Contractors have to go procure the materials based on what they know and basically say this is what we actually did. And that also has to get reported out at the end. So our user base in EC3 is about 30% architects and then 15% everything else, um, general contractors, uh, engineers, manufacturers, owners, sustainability consultants. Um, and then in terms of our funders, it's much the same. So we have large owners like Microsoft and Amazon. We have architects like Perkins and Will and ZGF. We have structural engineers like MKA and Walter P. Moore, contractors like Skanska, Turner and WebCore. Uh, manufacturers like the High Hansen, uh, industry organizations like the Resilient Flooring Institute. It just, it's very diverse because they all have a stake in this and we're all committed across that whole collection to, to reducing carbon emissions. So um, it's pretty fun to be able to go from a call with an architect to a call with a concrete manufacturer um, in, in a day and get those different perspectives. 
Hey, so for those that are listening, Stacy is actually wearing a hat right now that says, ask me about embodied carbon. So naturally I have to ask you about your, your hat. Um, what's the story with this? Yeah, we've been talking about it already, which is good. So, um, I, I wear the hat because I talk about it all the time. And I like to go to the grocery store and, and tell the grocery store clerk what his embodied carbon content of his checking um, station is. But anyhow, um, <laughs> embodied carbon is what we were talking about when we we're talking about that carbon uh, life cycle assessment. Mm-hmm. So embodied carbon's definition is the emissions associated with the extraction, transportation, manufacturing, installation, um, replacement and, and disposal of, uh, a material in our case, it's construction materials. So a body carbon of concrete would be the way that we make concrete, use it and then demolish it. Um, and that emissions number associated with it. So it's probably safe to say that if you want that to catch on a bit like a nutrition label, you would see a world where everybody would wear, be wearing hats like this, just to get the conversation started about what it even is. Are you the only one sporting a hat like that today? No, we've actually done two fundraising rounds on our website under, um, I think programs, there's an asking about embodied carbon, uh, link there that you can open with, you see a bunch of people with this hat on. Mm -hmm. I think we have about 200 folks out there so far, but, um, I'm getting enough requests for I'll probably open up a third funding, uh, fundraiser where you can go buy your own if you want. That's what I was about to say. I want to be number 201. So let's go ahead. (laughs) Let's go ahead and open that back up. That's really neat. I'll send you the link for the fundraiser. I'll go do it today. That's awesome. So you mentioned your programs. I, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about your Carbon Action Network and the Material Carbon Action Network, um, and also some of the companies that are getting involved with these programs. Sure. Yeah. So we have two programs, uh, Building Transparency, two Carbon Action Networks. The first one was Materials Can, and that was a bunch of manufacturers across different product types for building materials that had already started to engage in um, lifecycle assessments and EPDs, either because they were super committed to reducing their emissions impacts of their products, or they were complying with some owner requests. Um, so that group comes together uh, biweekly, talks to each other. So you'll have a flooring manufacturer talking to a gypsum board manufacturer, and then puts out content and does presentations to help other manufacturers figure out how to do this. So it's really about building up that education. It's not the hat, but it's kind of peer-to-peer, um, peer-to-peer education where manufacturers can talk to manufacturers about how to do all of this. The owner scan group is the other one that's newer, uh, that started last year. We have about 25 owners that call in bi-weekly now across all sorts of building types. So tech, um, higher ed, government, um, healthcare, you know, all the different kinds of builders and owners, uh, and they talk to each other. So it's a place where they can feel comfortable if they're just starting to understand embodied carbon, to ask someone that's been doing it for a little while, what what should I do? How should I start? And they also create resources they publish together so that the community can say, hey, there's a group of all these owners that want you to approach embodied carbon accounting in this way. So that's been a really exciting group uh, to host. So we talked um, a little bit earlier about some of the work that you're doing with Skanska, but I'm really um, curious to learn a little bit more. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk, um, you know, about you know the world's largest or one of the world's largest development and construction companies and the impact that you're making uh, from a sustainability standpoint. Maybe you can talk about some of the initiatives that you're working on um, in 2022. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I mentioned Skanska's global uh, targets. So um our initial targets were 50% reduction in our own emissions by 2030 and then zero by 2045. 
And now because of how much we were exceeding those targets and what we think is possible, we've just updated them. So it's 70% reduction by 2030. So um, eight years from now, we're gonna be 70% uh, better than we were against our, our baseline of just a couple of years ago, um, and then zero by 2045. So um, we are obviously actively working to, to do those things to reduce our emissions. Uh, a lot of that is looking at our own operations. So things like, um, ways to get you know gasoline out of our own equipment, our own trucks that we own for superintendents. There's really cool things going on for renewable diesel, which burns almost 100% clean. It's 90% plus cleaner than regular diesel. Um, and it's a one-to-one -one replacement. You just go put it in your, your trucks right now. Um, there's electrification where we're testing out the Ford, new Ford trucks and looking at electric equipment on site, which is super cool and exciting to finally actually have it here to test. Um, and then there's looking at things like um, unique agreements for our site utility um, use, um, things like how we can purchase renewable energy from our local utility providers. So a lot going on with our own operations. We're also looking at lots of things around employee engagement. So um, something fun here in Washington is that we've uh, calculated our emissions for last year and we're working with Forterra to actually have our employees go plant enough trees to, to offset those emissions. Um, so not just going out and purchasing offsets, but getting our employees out there to really feel like they're, they're helping to contribute to um, making us carbon neutral. Um, I mean, there's so many different things. We're committing nationally to using EC3 on all projects over 53,000 square feet. So any project Skanska estimates will have a carbon assessment that goes to the client um, no matter what, so they can start to think about their carbon footprint um, if they haven't yet of their, of their buildings. Um, I could go on, there's just so much. It's an exciting time. Our team at Skanska has grown. There's three of us now in Washington uh, supporting this work. Um, yeah, if anyone's interested in sustainability, I'm going on a tangent, but there are so many jobs out there right now. I started this 20 years ago and there wasn't even jobs with sustainability in the title. And if you Google that, there's just hundreds and thousands of jobs out there. So it's a great time to be interested in this work. So I'll drill on one specific point that our listeners are gonna take an interest on specifically about electrification. Can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about Sanska's um, electrification initiatives, especially as it relates to EV charging infrastructure uh, and building retrofits? Yeah, so we, um, of course, we develop some projects, we largely, you know, build for other developers and owners. So we have seen for a long time now the desire to include EV charging in buildings, right? So that's one way that we do this. Um, a second is supporting um, all of those owners in various markets in the U.S. to understand the incentives that are now being proposed or are there for, for EV charging to be added to existing buildings mm -hmm. or um, utilized in new buildings. And there's actually a lot going on there. Um, that could be a whole other podcast just in terms of the different kind of incentives and policies that are coming up at the various levels of, of government. Um, and then there's how we approach it as a, our own owner developer and ensuring that we're providing that um, at the capacity necessary for what we think is coming versus maybe what we know is, is there today. That's another interesting conversation because we have to kind of think ahead to, to not, okay, we need this many charging stations for the current state, but in X number of years, you know, if are we going to be hundred percent electric, what does that mean in terms of the resilience of a building to be able to either have that already installed or be able to retrofit easily by having some of the, the core infrastructure in place. So I just, um, I just get excited because we're in a different place than we were even 10 years ago when I was you know, still doing this work um, where we're talking about it is coming or it's here versus you know, what if it comes. And that's very much the case when it comes to electrification of, of vehicles and what that means for buildings and our infrastructure. So 
it's exciting times. Absolutely. Stacey, as it relates to electrification and building retrofits, can you talk about how buildings are going electric? Sure, absolutely. And this is another thing that just is exciting in terms of where we are, because we're able to prove this, especially here in, in Seattle, maybe where this is um, getting some traction. But um, we're seeing a lot of buildings, whether it's at the residential scale or at the commercial scale, committing to go all electric, whether they're new construction or retrofit. Um, and what we're seeing there is um, pretty great efficiencies when it comes to how we can use things like electric heat pumps to both heat and cool. And the nice thing is in a place here, like Seattle already, our grid is largely hydro. So if we make that transition to uh, all electric system, our grid is about 90% clean. So it's it's um, a very easy win for a very big emissions reduction in terms of how we're eating and cooling buildings. Um, I'm about to do our remodel here in our house and we're, we're going from gas to all electric. So it's very personal. Induction cooking is also amazing. So that's the other part of this is get rid of that gas stove and, and go to induction. Um, Tell me about again, induction. I don't, I don't oh, know what that term means. So give, induct, an induction the... stove. Oh my gosh. It's the most amazing thing. So it's um, a stove that um, uses induction to heat. It's an electric stove, uh, mm -hmm. induction to heat. And so um, you use these special pots and it does a, a reaction that actually heats water almost instantaneously, but the surfaces stay cold because it's a, it's a reaction in the actual connection of the, the pot to the surface. So it's much more efficient in terms of how fast it heats water, for instance, yeah, or cooks. They work really well. Yeah, they're great. They're amazing. We just did, yeah. we just tested some because we're going to get one because we're going all electric. Um, and th they're amazing. I think if you look at gas versus induction, people tend to go induction just based on the, how it heats and cooks things so consistently. So it's the next, it's the next frontier in terms of uh, cooking. <laughs> Stacy, if somebody's interested in learning more about the good work that you're doing at Building Transparency, where can they find out more? That's easy. It's just www.buildingtransparency.org. Um, there's tons of information there under programs and resources and things, as well as registering for EC3, because you can do that for free. Excellent. Well, to all of our listeners, be sure to like this video and click that subscribe button so you don't miss a beat. And be sure to tune in to future episodes of Go Electric. Thank you, Stacy, for being on the show. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. As I like to say, long live the pioneer. Thank you, Stacy. Great to have Thanks. you today.